like do you have like swelling around like... yeah 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 uh so uh went went to the doctor and the doctor was like so he gave like the specific thing about what it is the like what it's some medical term but it's just like a hangnail he's like oh it's a hangnail i was like i didn't I, it wasn't like tearing off my skin or any do it you know doing anything bad and he's like yeah well we'll just you know uh hit you with these uh these antibiotics and a compression wrap and it helped so much but it like woke me up like i woke up in the morning with like a throbbing pain in my finger and was like that's not a normal feeling and i am an adult i need to go to the and he was like oh yeah, yeah yeah just take this so i'm on a crazy course of antibiotics it's like the thing that can knock out whichever version of this it is because I caught right. it early enough, not to be super gross, but like the guy, he, there was no surgical option because he's like, oh, this looks like it's pretty bad. And John, I'm an actor. So I was like, mm, I can't like let this get bad enough where I maybe am like on set or like book a job or something. And then I am like, oh, by the way, I have like a finger that's like falling off. I got to go to the hospital. So I was just like, I'll yeah. just yeah, yeah, go yeah. like an adult, make an appointment with my doctor, went, saw my doctor and they were like, yeah, yeah, you should. We'll give you some antibiotics, give you a compression wrap, and then just take some ibuprofen. So I've been doing that. It's fine. Good God! But it did. Right. Well, that's good that you're you're you've caught it early because I know like the staff and like MRSA kind of stuff can like turn into like a oh cool. Well, this is going to be our six month plan with navigating this hot mess. Exactly. Yeah, and I I traveled. You know, I've been traveling recently, so I, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go and take care of this right away. So that's where I'm at. Uh, it sucks, but it, I'm not in pain. I like caught it. I'm, yeah. I feel like such an adult that I took care of myself. It's such a beautiful yeah. feeling. I, I did the same thing earlier this week on uh Wednesday morning after feeling like super garbage mm-hmm. all day long on Tuesday, I was like, I'm going to go see my doctor. Yeah. And uh, I've got insurance. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then my doctor was like, okay, you're a third grader because you have strep throat. And oh, uh, yes. so, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on, I'm, I'm, we're the, uh, antibiotic brothers. My God, this is so ridiculous. This is also very reflective of our childhood and our friendship is you would get sick and then I would get sick and yeah, yeah. just kind of pass it back and forth. <laughs> now we just do it via, via USB Somehow. ports. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. That's. That's great. Well, I could think of no better pus-filled start to uh, this week's episode of... Welcome, folks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the F1 Files. Mm. This is a Formula One podcast where two lifelong best friends wax philosophically about their favorite sport Mm -hmm. and particularly this interesting era that we're in as the sport rapidly expands in our country of origin the united states Mm. i'm one of your hosts my name is john lapore i'm a creative consultant designing the future for film technology and automotive 
I am Corey Willis. I am the other host. I am an actor, writer, improviser, and I'm out here in Los Angeles, California, dealing with California life. It's good stuff. It's great stuff. Yeah, it sounds disgusting right now. Uh, yeah, it's pretty gross. Pretty gross. Uh, also, pretty gross to have to do like a weird pattern of sleeping and napping uh, because I caught the Grand Prix in real time this week, the Azerbaijan <laughs> Grand Prix. Uh, so I woke up at like 3.15 in the morning <laughs> and started oh watching the pre-race show. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. Uh, yep. yeah. Uh, wow. Yep. Yeah. So I... I Taught during the day yesterday, took a nap, had a show, came back home, took another nap, and then woke up, watched the Grand Prix, also took a nap during the Grand Prix, because, you know, it's it's going to be like yeah, the biggest was, story of the week. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. Uh, yeah pretty boring, yeah. pretty boring. Uh, so that was that was my my day. I caught it in real time. It was it was good stuff. Were you catching this in real time? Because after uh, the the three and a half years that it's been since our last Grand Prix, you had like Christmas morning excitement and yeah. you just wanted to uh, jump in and attack. That's exactly what it was. I was just like, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to sleep. Uh, my, my buddy Cola, uh, she, she recently texted me uh, and was like, uh, okay, so I think I'm like becoming obsessed with this sport. Uh, we've already talked about we've already talked about her on the podcast. She's uh, a new uh, fan of Ferrari. Uh, she had asked me, should I, should I back oh, Alfa Romeo or Ferrari? And I was like, Ferrari, go for Ferrari. Uh, and she's like, Yep, yep, I'm going for it. She's also a Mets fan, so that's it's right. a she's yeah. she's used to it. She's she's used to a a difficult fandom, uh, but a very mm-hmm. rewarding one when it is very rewarding. But it's gonna be a long road uh there's that paper mache apple that slowly (laughs) rises up oh my god oh what a (laughs) what a nightmare apparition that is long gone uh was at shea stadium but i don't think it's at city field but anyway, they brought it. They brought it they did bring oh god yeah they did bring it to city field so they brought the curse and uh um, yeah. so yeah, so, uh, Cola texted me, um, and she was all sorts of worried about, uh, spoiling the Grand Prix for me and I need to text her back. Cause I was like, I don't want to like, I can't, I got to talk to John about this first. I got to talk to him about this. I got to like, <laughs> get all this out. It, like Are you get staying all- fresh for, I'm, for, for, for the podcast. Yeah, I love it. I yeah, love it. Yeah. So my apologies to Colo. But- I wasn't even trying to stay fresh. I was like, Gloria, you gotta, you gotta hear all about this. And she's like, Nope. And I was like, Nope. Okay. So I'm yeah. fresh. Oh, nice. Fresh. Nice. Wait, was this because Gloria did not want to hear about it? Or was she like, no, John, Preserve the sanctity of the podcast. <laughs> Keep it fresh. Yeah, she said preserve the sanctity of yeah, the okay, okay. podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. But wow. you know, we know uh, she's she's a she's a smart lady. Yeah. Um, yeah. all right. So uh I mean, first off, I mean, just in general, how did it feel for you watching the cars finally get back on track after this? painstakingly exhausting spring break vacation that was created by the the Chinese Grand Prix being canceled. 
so I have to I have to ask for some clarification. Uh, was it exciting for me to finally see cars back on track, or f- ex- and which time? Because they were on track a lot there was 47 times there was so much (laughs) yeah there was so much on track action uh this is like the 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 too much of a good thing uh syndrome i think was yeah so i mean that's that's a that's a key thing i think looking at this weekend as Mm -hmm. a whole and i think a lot of the time at the end of the weekend, it's easy just to be like, all right, let's just hone in on the race. But uh, after this weekend, I do think it's worth discussing. We had this new altered sprint format. Yeah. Yeah. Which even though we had discussed it in great detail here on our expert driven (laughs) podcast, I still found myself deeply confused while <laughs> me too watching yeah. this unfold. And I so, like literally uh, screenshotted the part of like the schedule from F1 TV and was like referencing it and looking at it and being like, huh? I'm like still scratching my head. Like, what? wait, but how is this? Hmm. Yeah. So the new, the new format for this weekend was we had uh practice on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Then we had qualifying after practice on on Friday, and we're going to call it race qualifying. Yes. Yes. Then Saturday morning we had qualifying for the sprint, which is now branded as the sprint shootout. Right. That is what the the sprint qualifying is. Is wait is the sprint? See, I this think is- they were calling the sprint qualifying the sprint the sprint shootout. shootout. Okay. Okay. Sprint, yeah, the Sprint California sliders. Um, yeah, and then we had the Sprint race mm-hmm. almost immediately following that on mm-hmm. Saturday, and then on Sunday we have the race based on with the starting positions based on the qualifying that had taken place back on Friday. Friday, correct. So on Friday, I'm sitting down being like, this is awesome. I'm going to turn on the TV and catch some Formula One action. I'm so excited to see cars back on track. I see a little bit of practice. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. This is great. I see qualifying happening and I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm like probably in in the Q2 session midway through the whole qualifying when I realized that I was watching race qualifying and I thought I was watching sprint qualifying yes. because it's just, it's just presented as, you know, qualifying. As qualifying. It would be. And, yeah. And yeah. And, and then, you know, and, and that just, that spun me around hard. Like the fact that I was watching this qualifying thinking like, this mm-hmm. is qualifying, but it's not really a big deal because this is setting them up for the sprint. And then the sprint's going to determine the starting order for the and mm-hmm. then I was just like, wait, hold on, this isn't it. I jumped into a, a text message thread with a, a few other uh F1 junkies and was like, Does everybody realizes right now that we're watching the like the race qualifying. Yeah, yeah. This sets not the stage. The sprint qualifying. And there was like a and like multiple other people were like, uh, what? Huh? What's he? I'm sorry, what? Oh. What's going on? And so I felt at least relieved that I wasn't, you know, alone in my complete uh you know inability to keep track of this madness. 
Well, luckily, the the first qualifying session for the Grand Prix took about three days all by itself, uh, just because of yes. all the red flags that yep. uh, kept happening. So that was already uh, a nightmare. And it also was weird because with the red flags, with the crashes, with all the stuff, it was like, oh, well, this feels like it's inconsequential because they're just going to build these cars back up for a different set of qualifying for a totally different race. And then who knows that there's like, who knows? It's a roll of the dice. Maybe they get more damage in the qualifying in the next day. Uh, Or or maybe they get more qualifying or more damage in the sprint, actual, the sprint race. Uh, And this is almost precisely what happened with Pierre Gasly. Just Pierre Gasly having one of like the most tragically difficult weekends I've seen a race Mm driver have i i can't remember the last time someone has had a weekend that is just that like start stop start stop and yep him even leading up to the fact that he had to start from the pit lane because there was an exhaust leak which could have caused another fire in his car so like right it was a fire happened day one then he immediately crashed his car <laughs> in like the first qualifying session, causing one of those red flags. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he had to start from the pit lane from uh, for the sprint race itself. Right? Was that how how that? Uh, where was it? That is, d- didn't he have his engine blow at some point? That was, was the first that... one. That was the first. That was okay, the, the and there was this just... like insane <laughs> amount of black, uh, perfectly Parisian smoke mm-hmm. pouring out of the uh, what? What do we call the like air box intake? Yeah, that's above the, yeah, the helmet. The, the air yeah. box. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it's it was a really sad sight, but it was also hilarious because it was like, hey, I does his radio not work because? He is just continuing to drive around the track with a car that's on fire. Like it was yeah. such bizarre behavior, uh, which also there was some bizarre behavior with Yuki Sonoda when his car's <laughs> wheel fell off, which gave us some of the most hilarious. I mean, it's just such yeah. a funny visual gag. Uh, like the idea of like, oh man. So when I was a kid, John, I went to a roller skating rink and I thought it was so funny because uh, uh, this is what this is not even is that this roller, Starburst this or, or no, Gup this, Dills. This is not Starburst or Guptills. This is the it's the the skating rink that's over in I think Highland, maybe. It's like downstate near okay. New Paltz. Uh, I can't remember exactly which one it is, but it was one of the first ones that I went to. And I thought it was so funny because I was skating around like a little head and I like looked down and saw a wheel just like going off into the distance and being like, (laughs) and like looked at it, laughed at it. Remember this clear as a pelt as a child and then very promptly fell over because i was laughing at my own wheel that had fallen off so it was just this like that's beautiful oh it was so upsetting but also so perfectly poetic and set like kind of like the mold of like who i am as a person (laughs) just like laughing riotously uh (laughs) right like 
fully laughing like a maniac uh, at something. And then it turns out I'm laughing at my own demise. Chuckling at your own demise. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So it's amazing. That was. <sighs> yeah, it was was beautiful image seeing uh, Yuki's tire just take off on its own downhill. Like down a hill uh, and then it went like back up a hill. Like it was. Yeah. Because of the. Oh, so funny. Dangerous. Extremely dangerous. But also dangerous because they then put Yuki back on track. <laughs> Still, and nowhere near the most dangerous folly that we saw oh, no. this weekend. We'll we'll save that. That should be our our cherry on on yeah. top of of this weekend. We'll we'll get to that at the very end. Yeah. Um. Ugh. So, all right. Uh, we, you know, the to me, some of this just felt like it was like. Don't ever let these guys take a month off from driving no, these cars because it really seemed like it was just a purely chaotic mega mess. Yeah. Uh, you know, as everybody got got back into the swing of things, uh, not it, to me did not reflect nicely on the sport that had all this pent up demand. No, uh, not at all. It was yeah. oh so but it was it was a farcical kind of uh demonstration of the farcical setup of the weekend right like this is yeah it's this is and we also and, have, and i think it was presented as an experiment at least yeah like, i don't think this was presented as like hey we've got this wonderful idea that's going to solve things but like how did this get to the prototype stage like it just to, to me it just doesn't make sense and it kind of like uh, to me, the sprint races are more impactful when mm -hmm. they are this combination of like, well, I know it's not as interesting to have a race with smaller points, you know, uh, being offered to the winners, but it's also going to determine the starting order for the Grand Prix. Exactly. And that, you know, that to me is, is a nice little blend. And then it also kind of like takes the idea of like the qualifying for the sprint and makes that it's kind of a qualifying it's kind of a practice session it's not you know it's nothing to get bent out of shape over you know yeah and this like having two different qualifying sessions and they were trying to make one of them the it's the it's the sprint shootout it's the shootout it's they changed the music they like and made the music sound like bond music a little bit like it was such a <laughs> It was the it, sprint. The the qualifying for the sprint took l significantly longer than the sprint. Oh race itself, yes, yes, yeah. almost twice just, as long. Yeah. Which which is like that's not how. I don't want to see cars on track just because we feel like there need to be cars on track, and by we I mean the fan base. And the fan base has also spoken out about this. This is like an immediate mm -hmm. response by the entire swath of the fan, not like broad swath. It's like every facet of the fan base is like, Hey, this weekend kind of sucked. Can we like not do this again? Whatever this was, this was mm -hmm. not it. So don't do it again. And I'm so worried that they looked at this and went, well, there were a lot of numbers. There was a lot of action on track. People were talking about it. This kind of like caused like tension off track and all this other stuff. This is not 
bad publicity. This is publicity. So who knows what will happen at the next sprint, right? Or they could spin it as the next sprint will be the redemption one. And we're really going to make it work. And it's like, well, the, I don't, I don't want to, I never want to see this format again, John. Mm-hmm. I, n- I never yep. want to see it again. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, I'm, I'm all for the idea of playing with and trying to fine tune the format. But yeah, this, absolutely. this was, this was a, a case study in don't do that again. So in, yeah. Yeah. The, rubbing everyone's nose in it. Like really, yeah. really bad. The sprint itself also to me, and I, I do, uh, a lot of people are not crazy about the sprint format. I like the sprint format uh, for the most part. I will say this was the least interesting sprint race that I think I've seen. Um, really didn't, didn't have that much compelling going on outside of some, some fun drama at the, at the first lap. Well, I had also someone had com, uh, compared it to uh, not someone, but several people had compared it to the first stint of a Grand Prix where nothing happens, and it's like I don't, I mm-hmm. definitely do not want to see. Like we saw the last stint of the Grand Prix where nothing happened, and essentially the first stint of the Grand Prix, which is this little mini baby Grand Prix that we watched. So we watched so little action on track. So it was. Truly one of those things where it would be an embarrassing thing to have someone watch this for the first time and be like, so wait, this is what you, I thought this wasn't just cars going around in circles. I thought like what, mm-hmm. what, and yep. it's like, well, no, it's like a funky circle and it's in a city and like, uh, yeah, they, it's, there was some action at some point and it's like, well, there were how there were how many laps it was 68 laps of racing there right 17 laps and then 51 mm-hmm. laps so like what what are we what are we doing why are we why are we making this just a spectacle for the spectacle's sake cuz if it's for the advertisers i don't like that like none of us yep. want that and that's kind of what it smells like it's like well i mean you know, there's more airtime, more advertising time, more time on track, more like opportunities yeah. to see maybe cars on the side of the track because it's like a dangerous street circuit with weird varying wind gusts and tire temperatures. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I'm I'm of I'm over I'm over this sprint format very much so. Uh, mm-hmm. And, so let's yeah. let's talk about the the one intriguing takeaway from mm-hmm. this weekend's sprint, which was we had some pretty wild action right at the very start. Yeah, wild action. So Ugh. we saw we saw uh, George Russell, Max Verstappen duking it out uh, a few corners in a row. Which yeah. to me, it's always nice to see anything mm-hmm. that doesn't just like you know any any action that is sustained beyond a single corner is like for me an immediate like okay I'm now like three times as excited yes uh, it's a force multiplier for me and we got into I forget which corner it was but it was like you know the third or fourth corner of the race 
um, Max is making a bold outside attempt. John, it was the first corner of the race. Like it was fully George got off the line, got a really good start and beat Max to the first corner. And then Mm -hmm. in the second corner, that's where they like made like contact because like George had gotten around and Max was still on the outside. And like, this was super early in the race. It was great. I loved it. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Go go ahead. Keep, keep keep going. I mean, to me, just awesome to see that kind of action. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was, I think pretty clearly deemed pretty standard racing incident. Um, no one at, no one at particular fault. The sprint comes to an end and you can see, you know, the drivers are climbing out of their cars. A few of them are, you know, congratulating each other and whatnot. And you can almost see the like cameraman, like the handheld camera do almost like a double take as he's like, you know, being like, oh, look, there's, you know, there's Leclerc hopping out and I see mm-hmm. someone else. And then I see uh, George next to Max. Congratulations. Wait, wait, hold on. What's going on there? And they they hone in and like Max is just straight up just lecturing George Russell and giving yeah. him this like, you know, like you, you have to understand you have to leave room there. You didn't leave proper amount of space for me. And, you know, George is a ridiculously affable guy and he's yeah. you know in no way shape or form being you know hostile or anything and he's even like uh taking a you know a percentage of accountability and you know by, yeah, he says, by explaining hey, like i'm sorry i had cold tires, tires. Cold. Yeah, yeah 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 yep um it was pretty fun did you catch the the interviews after the fact there was a whole string of them I caught a couple and, of them. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. not all of them. Um they're best consumed uh back to back. Like you have to always see like what did George say? Yeah. And what did Max say? And it's it's one of my favorite, I think, recurring episodes in the sport, which is something goes down, there's a driver who's pretty chill about it and then there's max first who's like falling to pieces about it and to max's credit he's getting better at sort of like uh controlling his temper to some mm. extent um or at to least some putting that's on a, a that's front a of, heavy lifting well, well, this is, you, bit that that phrase is doing he's, yeah he's self-aware in that he is trying to he's He's he is working with every fiber of his body to appear as though he's not taking any of this too seriously. Yeah. And you but it's painfully obvious that he is just like uh, he he's punching the pillow. Yeah. uh, You know, after after this, there's nothing more serious that could possibly have happened than like the most recent slight against him and this is this was great i loved watching damon hill like do his sky f1 uh commentary after this Mm -hmm. sprint race just being like he's being a sore loser like just move Mm -hmm. on like move on son it didn't go your way today 
do, what do we do? do? Do we just roll out the red carpet and like Max Verstappen gets the world championship? Is that what's is that? Is that what we want? Because that's what everyone's kind of acting like. And like, it was great because the person who conducted the post-race interviews was also Damon Hill. So uh, we got to watch uh, Damon uh, interact with <laughs> with Max Verstappen. And like, I know Max saw that uh, that portion i there's no way he didn't or max's mm-hmm. people didn't go like hey damo was kind of like talking some smack about you and called literally called you a sore loser uh on like british sky f1 like fully said it and did not get checked by either of the other presenters the other presenters were like eh. uh, but it was yep. he then had to do the post-race interview and you could just tell at the very end of that interview max was doing everything he could to be professional because he, I'm sure, knew that that was going to be the situation after the race. It's not a surprise who conducts these post-race interviews to the drivers. Like, they know who will be there. So I'm sure that Max was like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't be mean. Don't be, like, don't be bratty. Don't be, like, spoiled. Don't be, like, don't be a sore loser. Don't be any of that stuff. Don't do And then <laughs> at the very end of the interview, Damon's, try- like, trying to gracefully, like, end the questioning. <laughs> like tiptoeing around him ending the questioning being like well you know hard luck you know better luck next and my max is just like walks off uh yep he's he's a a special kind of person i john you know this about me i worked in bars for a long time and <laughs> the there is a certain i'm very good at like immediately recognizing uh this type of person and i'm going to use a, a word that is like uh, that's used in in and been weaponized against <laughs> women and non-binary people uh and it's uh bitch uh and i do not mean it in that way whatsoever i mean this in like a non-gendered i mean this in a totally absent and devoid of the any part of this like just he's a whiny little bitch and i know that everybody has someone in their life who they're like oh yeah this is what they do and max verstappen Mm -hmm. is that person he will always be that person he's been that person since he was go-karting like you can look back at the interviews post go-karting with him and he is the same person today and it is just this whiny little spoiled brat who thinks that the world should be his and that he's earned everything that he has in front of him. And not to say that he hasn't, but when he doesn't get everything that he wants, the whiny little bitch does exactly what the whiny little bitch has always done. And Max Verstappen shows it every single time, every time. And it's, yep. It's tiring. Oh Yeah. And, you know, uh, yeah, he, he's, there's moments where he gets extra cavalier with it. Uh, there was one interview I think he was giving with the Dutch press where mm-hmm. he referred to, uh, Russell as princess George and, which and is, whatnot. And it's all, it's, you know, which is him trying to sound like he's having fun with it. No. And again, I, I swear but he's just he's being going like a sexist misogynist piece of shit like that's not 
referring to someone and like diminishing them based on like their mm-hmm. masculine identity or whatever. Like, it's just such a like, dude, that's not, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're making yourself look so much worse and you're the champion that no one wants to get behind uh, except for the people who condone this type of behavior. And like, are those the people who you want as your fans, the kind of people who cheer you on when you call someone a princess? So uh, I'm starting to get concerned that Max Verstappen and his his earned dominance of the sport. He's mm-hmm. a terrific driver, and yeah. he's driving for uh, the the team that is obviously by far the best prepared to take on the season. Um, but I I feel that this is like just increasingly hurting the sport as a whole. Yeah, and. I'm especially concerned because this weekend we saw him come uh, not in first place in either the sprint race mm-hmm. or in the formal Grand Prix. And on both of those occasions, it took effectively a full on like act of God to keep him from winning either of those. In the sprint, it was Russell's contact, which like, tore a huge hole a in his side hole. pod. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which to me, I was astounded that the car even performed as well as it did. Yeah. In those conditions. Um, when there's like, you know, other points in time where there's like a singular flap or whatnot that gets dislodged and it like throws the balance of the car violently off. And he seemed uh pretty pretty un- okay with it. Unbothered. Yeah. Yeah. By it, like he got out of the car, and I think even he was like, "Whoa, I was driving with that huge tear in the side of the car." Wow. Yeah. All right. Which I think was um, part of his response, and I can also I I'm not condoning that kind of like getting out of the car. Someone goes like, "Hey, look, I didn't. Uh, it's my bad. I didn't realize you were this mad about it." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, and then like as someone, this is, goes back to that like analysis of Max Verstappen being a whiny little bit. <laughs> He waits till George Russell turns away and then calls him a dickhead. Like waits until George yep. is like fifteen feet away. Well, well, it's 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 also George is like decelerating the confrontation, but also gets to the point where he's like, "Oh, this isn't going to go anywhere. I'm out of here." And yeah, he's like you know, he doesn't like give him a hard cold shoulder or anything. He just keeps walking away, and Max very embarrassingly is like still talking to him as if he's listening to him. Yeah. Again, again, and then has to mutter. I've I worked know. in bars for so long. I watched that exact interaction happen so many times. <laughs> so many yep. times, John. I can't like it would happen 15 to 20 times a night that I would work. I would watch someone mm-hmm. do something where like they were trying to get a rise or trying to start a fight or something. And the bigger person would just be like Oh, I'm going to walk away because I don't, I, there's nothing to, I'm just yeah. making myself Why entertain this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to walk away because I don't want to be seen with you doing this. And the other person can't let it go. And they like, will take a few steps towards that person as they're walking away and either mutter something under their breath or like shout something as if like they had just made them walk away 
by saying something so hurtful. Like it's just such mm-hmm. a it, it's a pattern of behavior that is disgusting and it, he is our world champion <laughs> and he is the person who everyone goes like, well, let's like throw to Max. What is how how does Max conduct himself? Everyone else in the sport should like look at that as some sort of guiding light because that's what the world champion represents. Right, John? Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, so not great. Moving, moving into the race. uh, We had another scenario that uh, pretty much single-handedly seemed to keep Max from, winning the Grand Prix, which was we mm-hmm. had this moment where uh, Nick DeVries grazes the wall, uh, loses uh, suspension arm on his car, wheel is basically ragged, yeah, can't steer, has the car stopped in a relatively precarious position on track. And yep. during that, I found it really fascinating and I was wondering what was going on because – Max was already struggling for grip and needed a change of tires. I believe that the team saw this incident and thought, okay, safety car is going to have to come out for this. Come in right away and get into the pits, which he did. Yeah. But what ended up actually happening is that the safety car did not get called for like 60 seconds or so at which point max verstappen had gone into the pit had his tires changed had exited the pit and it was like literally just as he exited the pit that they called the the safety car out yeah and i would i would almost say that you know if i was the you know race controller like that's exactly the way i would have played it i would have been like "Yeah, yeah hold on wait 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 Okay, now call it. Now call it. Car. Yeah. Yep. And that yeah. perfectly, you know, set him back out, uh, set him back in the race because everybody else being able to pit under the safety car would get uh, much uh, less detrimental pit stops than he had received while everybody else was going full speed around the track. Um, and just, I don't know, yeah. it just sort of struck me as like, I don't know, like, was it fate? Was it? somebody trying to make the race more interesting yeah. uh well this is this is, is almost too perfect the the thing about the sprint format and like we we'd said this before uh and mercedes said this before and red bull openly like admitted to this that the sprint format throws not just them but throws max verstappen very specifically off of his game. He needs a little yeah. bit more time to get that car set up. And by eliminating those practice sessions and throwing straight to qualifying, it does put them on the back foot for qualifying. Now, this is this is me putting, I, I'm like, I'm uh peeking out from inside my like uh my tinfoil uh like lined closet uh, of conspiracies here. Uh, But I think that Red Bull has done some like massive big brain thinking here and have decided to set their car up to be super dominant at the start of the race. Because 
they know that it's okay if they get out this what damn near minute lead on everyone and then they can play around with pit stop strategy and they're not going to have to worry about being you know uh, overtaken in the pits or any sort of undercut action or anything like that so what i think that they've done is they've designed their car to be incredibly fast and really 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 efficient at the highest possible fuel load so when the car is the heaviest it can be that is when it is at its best and i interesting yeah so i think that this format especially penalizes them for that and that's why they're so freaked out over it because they need to figure out how that car is going to balance itself over the course of one lap. And then they need that long-term running to watch the fuel loads drop and see like, Hey, how do we set this car up to not just be perfect in the first five laps, but to be like pretty good in the first five laps because we're already Red Mm -hmm. Bull. And if we're Red Bull and we're pretty good, we're better than everyone. But we also need to have it set up so that the car can hang on for the whole race. Part of the reason why you don't see Max and Checo trading places at the end of races, too, is they're not really that equipped to be as, like, dominant and as, like, aggressive in these overtaking situations at the end of the Grand Prix versus the beginning of the Grand Prix. So that's... I will now step out from my uh, closet, close that up, (laughs) uh, turn the light switch off, uh, pull the poster down over it so no one even knows it's a closet. Um, so I will say, uh, Baku as a, as a course, uh, I think there's some challenges with Mm -hmm. it in terms of it making for entertaining, uh, and competitive racing. I will say though, there were some stunning moments Mm -hmm. over and over again, watching these drivers take these like just tiny glances of brushing against the wall or these like very, very narrow misses Mm -hmm. with the walls that are around this course. Uh, And I forget what turn it is, but there's, you know, the spot where they come to the end of a corner and then have to make a change of direction to avoid this little section of barrier that juts out. And there are multiple times where, we're seeing cars with the back end totally loose, hanging out, like just barely getting pulled back in mm-hmm. before, you know, ripping the entire back end off of the car by colliding with these barriers. Yeah. And to me, that was a beautiful sight to see time and time again. And there is just like my, I can't help but like my cinematic brain always appreciates when we have these courses yeah. where there's, narrow track narrow walls all coming in closer it like enhances the sensation of speed it's why the like death star trench run yep is so dramatic yep. and exciting a hundred percent john it, i was it, just thinking that like yeah it's like literally yeah. like them diving through these like canyons that are built by like that are literally like man-made canyons uh similar to yep. like that run on the death star where it's just like man-made infrastructure and it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter and like there's no space for two Mm -hmm. to fit through at the same time uh i i love 
visually that track is stunning. Visually, this race is stunning. Yeah. If they keep the cameras on the ground, these overhead shots of cars just like lazily lumbering through city streets does not look that good. Yeah. Even when there are multiple cars like trying to squeeze through these choke points. But like, yep. keep those cameras on the track. Get those, not even the ones that are like embedded in the track, but the ones that are like on the barriers or like tucked into like the little like marshal entrances on those fences. I love, oh, they're so cool. Um, as you as you describe the, the cars going through these choke points, uh, Corey, are you a, have you ever been a fan of the TV series Bar Rescue? Uh, not really. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's again, one of those things where I worked in bars for long enough where so I'm like, way too, cl- way too I don't close know if I need to, to see. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the host, John Taffer, yes, I'm the host with, yeah, of yeah. Bar Rescue, uh, loves to sell to his customers this idea of installing, uh, the, uh, I think he calls it like the butt funnel or something mm. as the entrance to the dance floor that like forces people to brush against each other as they're like entering and exiting the dance floor area okay. of the ridiculously sophisticated drinking establishment that he's currently overhauling. And uh, yeah, I, I, let's let's get him a contract to make uh, one of these tracks. I just want to see what he would yeah. do with it. Oh yeah, it's a yeah. it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful look when they keep those cameras low and on the track because uh, it's just uh, and I you know if you can get some like really good headphones uh, and you have like a setup where you could get like surround sound get the surround sound set up and dial it into your headphones and listen to these cars because they it's not just the camera action it's like they have incredible mm-hmm. mics for these that pick up like the rumble of the curbs and John. Oh, Johnny, yeah. as someone else who's been to one of these racetracks, like the, the noise that those cars make when they go over those serrated curbs, it's, you mm-hmm. can't really appreciate it. And this sounds maybe a little like classist and pretentious or whatever, but like, I don't think you can really appreciate it until you've like walked across one of those things and mm-hmm. realize that like you have to take a very long stride to get from one part of the curb to the next like one like colored section to the yep. next like you can't really take that stride so to hear those cars rip across that and like the chatter that it makes and just it's just it's beautiful so it's it's a perfect like punctuation to the rest of the sort of like oral soundtrack yeah um all right yeah. Let's let's touch on, and uh, I want to come back to walking across the track in in just a moment. Yeah, again, keep. Uh, I love. I love. We're we're gonna keep teasing the we're, madness. We're gonna, we'll, we'll get to that in a in oh. a moment. Um, my favorite part of the race, I think by far, was a few different instances of listening to Fernando Alonso's mm-hmm. radio comms. Yeah, and uh. At first, there and and I don't know what's going on over at Aston Martin, but uh, it's like it's like the exact inverse of what we were prophesizing going into the season, which was that yeah. Fernando Alonso yeah. 
is going to absolutely mentally destroy his his teammate Lance Stroll. Mm-hmm. And instead, these guys are showing this like almost like, you know, uh, identical twin level of synchronization with each other. They're communicating back and forth mm-hmm. via the radio. Like they're telling each other, like, let him know, you know, I'm, I'm right on his tail, but I'm not, I'm not going to take him. I will not. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just staying tight. I'm just staying tight. There's no pressure here. I'm not applying pressure. This is I'm Lance Stroll right his, you know, like being like yeah. literally saying to his race engineer being like, tell Fernando that I will not attack. I will not attack him. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I will not attack him. Like, and then just hearing Fernando come back, uh, like after that radio communication and him being like, oh, it's okay. Um, tell them if, if he has a chance to go for it. And I was just like, oh my God, this is what is happening. We're listening to Fernando Alonso yeah. go like, hey, my teammate, if you think you're faster than me, like, I want you to go for it. Like, it was just such a, a wild He's blowing. Fernando he's, is yeah. doing tantric Formula One. Get rid- that's what's <laughs> that's what's going on. It's uh, he's like literally. He's yes. like, let's yes. interlock our fingers. Yes, let's take some deep breaths. Yep, and we'll just see what happens. I need you okay? to. I need you to be there's, facing there's me no completely. Right. Don't be no closed wrong. off. Just belly to belly, navel to navel. We're gonna breathe as one. Yeah, just. If it feels disgusting, it's okay. It's okay. But you can also accept it. Yeah, we can fight through this. Uh, while so while he's minding his own teammate, while he's minding his own uh, mm-hmm. immediate environment, like uh, like a yogi who's yet like fully like at the top of like <laughs> the Himalayan mountains in like melted out snow, levitating, controlling his whole environment. Yep. Uh, Fernando Alonso also had a radio communication that like completely blew my mind because as I've said, I listened to Hamilton's radio communications. So I like listened to in as close to real time as possible. There's a little bit of a lag, but like I can hear his communications and the broadcast also has a lag takes time to figure out exactly what they can release based on what the FIA says they can release on the world Mm -hmm. feed itself. And then they get clearance to play that. So as I'm watching the race, I hear Fernando Alonso come over the radio and be like, um, I see that uh, Hamilton uh, has a little bit of graining. Uh, so uh, we just need to be patient. It's just going to be like a matter of time. Uh, and so this is like a radio communication that's delayed by probably a solid minute, maybe, which would almost be a full lap of delay. Mm-hmm. So then another two laps go by and Hamilton pipes up over his own radio and goes, yeah, I'm starting to get a bit of graining. <laughs> and it was like, wait, so you're, so you're telling me that two laps before Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton, like the tire whisperer, the person who is legendarily known for managing his own tires two full laps before he had any idea that his tires were graining or that it was affecting him. Fernando Alonso from like a quarter mile away (laughs) saw that Lewis Hamilton was starting to get a little bit of graining 
And there were going to be opportunities to pass that were coming up pretty soon. Like I freaked out, John. I like stood up and was like, wait, whoa, 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 wait, wait, no, no, you can't do that. Like, that's not, how does Fernando Alonso know this stuff? How is he in touch with literally other people's cars better than they're in touch with their own cars? How it's, it's absolutely spectacular. And, you know, we've, we've discussed this previously, uh, even just this, it's such a display of like cognitive fortitude that he's piloting his spacecraft millimeters mm-hmm. off the ground mm-hmm. through these narrow Death Star trench canyon walls where any little error could end his race immediately. Mm-hmm. And he's got the ability to think about all of this, to think several steps ahead mm-hmm. in multiple different directions at once. At one point, he's giving the team advice to relay to his teammate on what his brake balance Mm -hmm. should be based on what he's played around with and what he felt was working well. And from what he's observing from this other pilot driving a completely separate car than his, what he could do to fine tune that in real time and is relaying that just to, to help the the process unfolds. Again, there was one at, point where- like a quarter mile away. He's not like right next to Lance's car looking at this. He is traveling like anywhere from like a quarter to like an eighth of a mile behind Lance and making these assessments while watching. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, John. I'm just I'm astonished. It's, it's just this. it's it's incredible, and I'm waiting for you know I'm I'm then waiting for the radio call where he's just like, uh, there's a apartment tower that's one block northeast mm-hmm. from corner five, yeah, and I notice that in their fruit bowl, the leftmost avocado looks perfectly ripe. <laughs> if they're up for it. Could you please email them uh, this particular guacamole recipe? I think they'll they'll enjoy it. Yeah, uh, it, it should go well with the coarse salt that I noticed was also on the counter. And he's also yeah, yeah, he's also like it's like oh yeah, I also linked uh, to my own personal recipe that I've been working on uh, for the past few laps because I like saw it and I was thinking that the avocados that are here on the Caspian Sea are probably a little bit different than the ones that I would get in uh, Spain. Mm -hmm. So there's a slightly different variance of spices that are available here. So here's like some shops that I also saw when I was on my way to the track this morning that I need to hit on the way home. Ooh, could you remind me to pick? (laughs) And it's like, Fernando, you're driving an F1 car uh, with 19 other people driving F1 cars all around you. Could you, you know, okay, I guess you are focused on the race, so you can. Yeah. Could you be Ugh. less relaxed, please? Yeah, yeah, and uh, absolutely. All the radio communications sound as though he is drawing himself a bath. Like it is not. <laughs> it's not frantic. It's so calm. It's so chill. Ah, it's incredible. It really is incredible. Uh, I and this is the first race that he hasn't podiumed in. The, first race that he did yeah. him in and what place did he come in F- fourth he came in fourth he came in right behind right yeah. there yeah he was yeah. right there um he if ferrari had ferrari themselves then 
he would have been on the podium again. So, mm-hmm. hey, huge shout out to Ferrari. Huge shout out to Ferrari for doing yes, a phenomenal yes. job this weekend. Just perfect. I mean, perfect in every way. They didn't sabotage. The only problem was that Carlos signs kind of was a little bit out of rhythm in qualifying and then also didn't perform as well because of like safety cars and red flags. Ferrari did everything perfect this weekend. Huge. Just. I think, yeah, I, I assumed that the clown wigs got like lost in customs or, or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're just not a, they're, they're not available. Um, they're like on the, the, the list of substances. There's an unusually high clown wig tax in <laughs> yeah. Azerbaijan. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh God. So. All um, right. So speak, speaking of clowns, yep. uh, let's, let's get into it. Uh, probably one of the worst things we've seen occur on, on track. Yeah. Uh, uh, and by track, I mean the pit lane in the final lap of the race. Um, we had, uh, who was it? It was Ocon needed to come in. Yep. It was uh, Esteban Ocon change. and uh, Nico Hulkenberg had both run the entire race on their hard tires. And it's mandatory to change yep. your tires at least once to a different compound in the Grand Prix. So they had to come in and change to either soft or medium. So. So first off, yeah. we already had this certainty that although it was the first lap, mm-hmm. the least ideal time with which to make a pit stop, that there was two drivers who had no choice but to come into the pit lane. Had to. So there was a line of photographers and other media. And as I understood it, there was also the Red Bull engineers had already crossed the pit lane to climb up the fence, which was as of last race, I believe uh, they yep. had made a rule that uh, they do not want the teams doing that anymore, climbing on the yep. on the fencing and, and whatnot, which has been a pretty traditional uh, sort of thing to see. Um, I... This thing of the photographers, of a mob of photographers in the pit lane, that is another ritual tradition. Yeah. I had the wonderful fortune when I was at the Austin Grand Prix in 2018 of being in the paddock. Mm-hmm. And literally, my buddy Datu was like, This is what we're going to do. We're going to get on this random line of photographers. And even though we don't have media credentials, it's going to be fine because when the last lap of the race is called, they're going to open a gate and they're going to let the photographers and they're all just going to run and no one's going to be checking credentials or anything. They're all just going to charge around. And that's the way that we get right up against the podium and get mixed in there with the teams and everybody else celebrating. Who are just out yeah. Whenever you in, see random in people lane. in there who don't have paddock passes, that's yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how you, that's how you find your way into that. And so, uh, yeah, we had a bunch of photographers who, uh, and there, there's, there's a gate that's opened. Mm-hmm. That gate was, you know, it was closed otherwise to those, to those people. Uh, but there was a gate that was opened. They had begun flooding into the the pits, and like 
the at that point it uh i don't know what was happening on the like the f1 tv feed but on the sky feed like they were calling it like they yeah, were like I, yeah. oh my god there's photographers they're all spilling out in there uh there's still there's any second now ed kravitz cars was come in. freaking out he yeah. was screaming like and like he came over and ted kravitz is an excitable person for sure Especially yes. when yeah. he's in the pit lane, like that is his thing. He gets like really overexcited. He's like a child uh, who's been given access to something that like would overwhelm any child and he does it for a living. But he came on the radio and like the frantic tone he was taking was not that like excited tone. It was a panicked like, oh my God, this is like these people don't realize that Esteban Ocon is going to come flying into the pit lane at like... 150 miles an hour and slam on his mm -hmm. brakes and still have to try. He'll still be doing like 80 miles an hour because it's like an average, like the pit lane speed is an average. So you just have to be doing under a certain amount on average. But at any point in time, he could have been traveling at a hundred miles an hour in that pit lane. And they had pulled, they had pulled a stanchion. They had literally pulled like one of those big, like roped off things for the photographers. And that was all the way across the pit lane as Esteban yeah. Ocon entered. Like you can, there's a freeze frame of it. And there's also onboard Jeez. footage of Esteban Ocon where you can see like, it's just a, a bunch of people who are just standing there in front of him as he's like diving down the pit lane. It was oh my God. This was something that could have created, like, again, one of those moments on TV that you can't cut from the, like, it would have just happened. Yeah. And people would have seen it and it would have been a disaster. I was honestly shocked that the broadcast director even that. brought up the the feed yeah. of of it like knowing that like i mean like yes i was very curious to see what was going to happen there but that was also like you know like oh okay are we like three seconds out from like a, a faces of death uh situation here yeah. like because this the, is uh yeah i mean this is th there's incredible forces and all sorts of things at play there are much more mundane areas of life where mm -hmm. bigger tragic accidents happen regularly. Mm -hmm. And because of the heights at which everything is operating in this sport, everybody goes to great lengths to ensure that everything is under full control and that, you know, safety is factored in at all times. And I have no idea how this one slipped through it's the cracks. Yeah. It, it's and the thing is is that the FIA is already the villain of the sport. This is the FIA. This is not Formula One. Mm -hmm. These Those photographers, that ceremony that they were starting to prepare, it's the podium ceremony. It's the park forme. Uh, everything, once the race is over, all the cars come in and like no one can touch their cars. No one can do anything until they're fully inspected by the FIA. So it's entirely controlled by the governing body, not the league, not F1 itself. Like F1 had no choice but to let the FIA folks do that. And they are in charge of the marshals. So they like told them to do it. Like there are people, there were people who were marshals with marshals vests on who didn't 
like who were turned facing down the pit lane as Esteban was coming yeah. into the pit lane. Yeah, with their with their back to him, and you know, it, I mean, you could see it in the footage. Yeah. Everybody looks startled by it. But the, the what's a Formula One car doing here? Yeah, but and here's the other thing is that the because people are still on track, it's not like you hear a car coming down pit lane yeah. and it's like, what's that? There are cars that are going parallel to that pit lane entrance doing They're screaming at full throttle it's the fastest part of the track it's these yeah. cars these engines are wide open they are the loudest they Ugh. can be and also as you dive into the pit lane you are peeling off from the fastest part of your lap you've then just gone through that like final bit of like gentle sweeping trenches that enter the drs zone where literally they remove drag so you can go faster. Like, it's like, why would you not think that maybe people wouldn't recognize? I, yeah, I, 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 it was a, it was terrifying, John. I scree, I, I it was very early in the morning. I definitely <laughs> woke my neighbors up because I screamed in like a, like terrified way, just like, uh, just just like Ted Kravitz screamed. I was like, oh no! Like it was it was gross. I didn't I didn't realize there was onboard footage of it. I'm gonna have to uh look that up. Yeah. Uh jeez. All right. Well Wild. thank goodness that there wasn't a I mean, like that's the last thing that the sport needs is for, you know, something unrelated to the kind of perils that everybody signed up for but just for like you know the pomp and uh, a handful of award-winning press types to get well, their lives ended by a so car jesus this isn't also john remember that when max was pulling up onto that like platform and he shot that ramp yes. across yeah, yeah, yeah. the pit lane. Yep. That's normally yeah. where the photographers stand too. So like, this is a yep. problem that. Is there some sort of final destination curse on uh, the, the uh, end of the, the race? Certainly uh, feels like it. Uh, terrifying. Uh, I, yeah, that's so the fact also folks, the fact that we've been talking about, formula one for the past hour and haven't really talked about the race in any way shape or form should give you an idea about how yeah. boring yeah. the actual grand prix was and if we have encouraged you to watch formula one i would like to on behalf of john apologize for if you woke up early for this race or if you wasted some time uh on this grand prix that you can't get back now this is not how it's supposed to go this is not how it usually goes and I hope F1 figures out that this is this should never happen again. <laughs> uh, mm. This is too much. Oh God! Uh, anything else from, oh, yeah, yeah, from, yeah. from the weekend, Johnny? That that stuck out to you? Um, Sergio Perez won. Mm. Hey, Sergio Perez won. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Good to see. Good to see. Uh, nice to see that. You know, again, uh, I don't want to get caught up uh on on max but just good to see him putting the spurs to his teammate a little bit i don't think it's uh i i hope it lasts i don't think it's going to yeah we'll see wonderful to to see see something unfold uh you know if we if we could get a battle between the two dominant teammates at the front of the pack that would be a beautiful thing it would be sport it would be um 
we'll I mean we'll see. Uh, Ferrari's looking tidier for sure. Uh, Mercedes also said that this weekend that they were like, "Hey, this is exactly what we anticipated happening. We were mm-hmm. looking to be strong here, and we were as strong as we expected to be." Uh, Lewis even said after the race that he was like, we are building towards something and I am perfectly happy with what happened. I don't look at this weekend as a failure in any way. We are building towards something and it's really exciting that things look like they're going to be what we think they will be after Imola, uh, after they bring this Mm -hmm. full upgrade package. Like they are expecting to be competitive with the Ferraris and with the Aston Martins. And if they're doing that, and it's now the James Allison era of Mercedes, it means they're beginning to undersell themselves a little bit again. And maybe, just maybe, this means that they will be competitive with the Red Bulls by the summer break. I mean, that's a huge ask, but we'll see. Um, If they've swallowed their pride and they're going with a different concept and Mm -hmm. they're following no longer the data... Uh, and they're following like the actual real results, then we'll see. We will see. Um, it was so great hearing Hugh Bird just be like, Checo, you're king of the streets. That was like the thing that he like mm-hmm. came over uh, the radio and said at the end. Uh, and I want Checo to do well. I really do. I would love it if he won the championship over Max. It's probably not going to happen, but I would love oh. it if it happened. I would. Oh. There's always a chance. There's always a yeah. chance. Yeah, there is. If if Nico Rosberg can beat Lewis Hamilton due to a string of uh, you know awful luck, yeah, then it's possible. It is possible. It really is. And if- all it takes is like two two like hard full on DNFs, and. All of a sudden, we've got some magic brewing. Well, if it's like, look at, uh, like, Checo said it. He's like, if if I hadn't screwed up in Melbourne, if, like, I was able to start the race where I needed to and finish where I could have, I would be leading the championship right now. So, like, he's mm-hmm. not wrong. He's not wrong. If he had, if it was a one-two finish in Melbourne, he would be winning the championship right now. So, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's. Love it. It's, Love it. It's possible. It's possible. Uh, also, if both Red Bulls had DNF'd this weekend, Fernando Alonso would have been leading the championship. So just. Wow. Yeah. Just to just to like put. Wow. Keep things in perspective that Alonso is not out of this fight in any way. He finished fourth. Yep. He is still right there. And they haven't yep. really started their upgrades either. They just started this week with a purpose-built rear wing that really didn't work because the DRS kept failing. Uh, it was also, I love watching Fernando toe Lance Stroll into Q3 of qualifying. That was just so cute. It was so perfect. Mm-hmm. Tragic for Piastri, but like so perfect. Oh yeah, McLaren showing up with updates and upgrades that actually did something yeah. for their yeah, car. Yeah. Hey, Yep. all right, good job. Good job, McLaren. Keep it up. Keep it up. Uh, give Piastri a reason to like shine because he's going to crush it. He is. All right, Johnny. I think this is, yeah, this is as good a note as any to wrap things up on. Boring race, but yeah. several different flickers of 
awesome potential. Exactly. exactly. Corey, do you think the Formula One stock went up in the United oh. States this week? I'm going to say no. I'm saying that it probably plateaued, especially we in the U.S. really like uh, a, a, a story. And this weekend, mm-hmm. there was no story. So yep. uh, I, I don't think that it's got as much traction as it expected to have, especially because the anticipation of this first sprint weekend and all the cars and all the attention. And then it was like a bit of a dud, like repeatedly a dud. I don't think that the stock went up. I think it's it, it, it didn't go down. It did not go down because. I'm going to say if there was a dip it was coiling up it was it's a compression mm-hmm. that is happening yeah. in advance of a explosion upwards yeah. that we are going to see in the days ahead of us yeah because, because uh next weekend we're we're, we're heading uh, back we're, we're racing in florida yep heading back we're taking it to taking it to florida yep uh we got a local boy. Home race. We got a local boy, a Fort Lauderdale born Florida man is racing in Formula One. So as Florida is going to come out to support their boy. And uh, I think that the U.S. is going to really show up because this is the first time that we're having a Grand Prix on U.S. soil with Logan Sargent as one of the participants. So and and I think it'll be interesting to see what the Miami Grand Prix is like. Yeah. After or outside of the initial mega hype yeah. from the first uh, the inaugural Grand Prix. Johnny, it could be it could be even bigger. I mean, I've heard a lot of things about crazy stuff that's and I know you've got people down there uh I've been hearing yeah. stories about all sorts of insane stuff. Like there are, there are discussions that just the atmosphere or the circus surrounding the race is going to be even bigger and more yes. blown out than it was last year. Yes. Like quite literally it was after going down there and spending a little bit of time there seeing like the formula one kit that was showing up. Like the, the fact that like, you know, McLaren's got a dealership down there, Aston Martin. I think it's literally like they're right next to each other. Uh, uh, right there in Palm Beach. Like, there's a lot of happening, like, a lot of Formula One, like, buzz that's being built into the infrastructure around South Florida. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be nuts. I want to see if they're going to have the fake marina again or what they're going to do with that. I haven't, oh. I haven't heard anything. I haven't seen any pictures, but, like, I want to see what they've got in store for us. Uh, all right. Well, Johnny. We've reached the end here. Where can the folks find you out there in the world? Hit me anytime you want via my home base, which is johnnymotion.com. Corey, where can the folks find you? Uh, well, they can find me online at Burn Corey Burn. You can also track me down uh, via the F1 files on Twitter and TikTok and a little bit of Instagram. You can communicate uh, with Johnny and I there. And then 
Oh, folks, this Wednesday, if you are a fan of television, uh, if you like the Goldbergs, uh, I will be making my network television debut on the Goldbergs this week. So uh, tune in. Um, I don't know if it's making your debut on like the biggest primetime sitcom that exists currently yep, yep jesus yep, Corey, yep, yep. this is amazing yep. thank you thank you it's a it's pretty pretty nuts pretty Absolutely surreal amazing. uh so uh i i i'll be there look for me uh throughout the episode uh but i will be in it so uh keep keep your eyes peeled and get your dvr set is that even a thing do people still dvr stuff yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. I've yeah. got a DVR. Yeah. There you go. DVR. Nice. Uh, nice. DVR your Hulu account. Uh-huh. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. You could track it down on whenever it reruns on, uh, on Hulu as well. Uh, it's episode 22. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, and. Oh, that's big. Yeah. My, I, 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 myself, I cannot believe it, uh, but it's happening. Well, I love it. Folks. You got to catch up with us the next time because we will certainly catch up with you the next time just after the Miami Grand Prix. Ooh, round two of the Miami Grand Ground Prix. <laughs> yes, the Miami, yes. The Miami the Ground Prix. Ground Round presents <laughs> the Miami uh, Flan Prix. You uh, got it. God, I love it. All right. Well, take it easy, folks. Mm-hmm.